When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bring Up the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. We're talking basketball today. So Eric Rubin is here with us. Eric, how are you doing? I am doing wonderful this week. The Cats are off to a great 1-0 start in Big 12 play. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, we are recording this right before the Texas game. So that's why we don't know the result of that yet. I'm sure it'll be over by the time you hear this. But Kansas State, we're going to look ahead, playing at Baylor on Saturday. Big game for a lot of reasons. We brought on our good buddy from Ideally Bears, and he also has a podcast about Baylor and stuff called Between Two Bears. Matt Wilson. Matt, how you doing? I am doing phenomenal. Big 12 basketball. Top of the nation, as it belongs. Right? We're starting a brand new year. Tons of potential in all realms of life for everyone. It's just a good time to be a sports fan, a lot of interesting things happening. I'm really, really good considering who is in the college football playoff and who isn't, but I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. And real quick on uh, football things, just give a shout out to Deuce Vaughn, everything he's done for Kansas State. He, he will be missed for sure, but totally understand his decision to Thank go pro. God. Hope he makes a lot of money. Hey, you <laughs> pipe down. You pipe down. <laughs> About time. Anyway, looking ahead, Kansas State at Baylor. Obviously, the Bears always have a good team. But the big story, I think, in this one is Jerome Tang going back to Waco for the first time. And, you know, Matt, we talked to Kellis Robinette, longtime KSAB writer, last time. And he was telling us how Jerome Tang sometimes still slips up a little bit and says we when he's talking about Baylor. So <laughs> it's obviously going yeah. to be pretty emotional for him. I mean, what's it going to be like for you as a Baylor fan? I know we talked before about him leaving and you know i think obviously you were sad to see him go but even more so you were proud to see him get the head coaching job he deserved so i am be like so proud of the personal journey i have made since we last spoke <laughs> i am elated not only for jerome tang but for the kansas state program right i think this is 100 percent a good thing for kansas state for jerome tang for the big 12 And at the exact same time, I have the healthy cognitive dissonance 
of wanting to beat Kansas State's brains in. Like, so I am in the exact right spot, I think, because I'm enjoying all of the success and I want to beat them in a respectful way. And <laughs> I just, I think this is a great situation because I don't know that you guys would have predicted what the 12 and one start. I don't know nope. that anybody would have predicted the 12 and one start. <laughs> I think some people could have predicted some of the transfers coming in to be successful. But as a team, this is already surpassing expectations, I would believe, on y'all's side and yeah. certainly from my side. So it's, it's just it's a fun story to talk about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and I should have mentioned this at the top, Kansas State is 1-0 in the Big 12 for the first time since, I believe, it was the 2017-18 season. And, of course, that season ended with the Elite 8 trip. Also, 12-1 and for the first time since 2009-2010, and that season ended with an Elite 8 trip. So, just saying. Well, All right, we're extrapolating we're already. Eight, okay. <laughs> on, pace, on pace guy over here. Right. Yes, we, we, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, Eric, how do you think Coach Tang's, you know, emotions are going to, you know, how could those affect the team? And, you know, what do they have to do to make sure it's not a negative effect? I actually don't think it'll be a negative effect. I actually think that the players are going to come in with the mentality of wanting to make Tang proud at the end of the day. You know, they. I think they'll come in. You might get a little bit more out of them than you would in other circumstances. What's going to be going through Jerome Tang's head during the game, you know, or, or, and leading up to the game? You know, I'd like to think that leading up to the game, that dude is going to be focused, you know, on trying to win a basketball game. I can't imagine, you know, as much time as he spent with Baylor and with Scott Drew, the mental gymnastics you have to go through to take the name off the front of the jerseys you're playing against. But, you know, he's saying all the right things, right? And, you know, he was saying all the right things leading into the season. Saying the right things has translated into being the right things. So, you know, just philosophically, I think that I'm not expecting a letdown by any stretch of the imagination or a distraction. If anything, I think think we're going to come out harder. Sorry to chime in here, but Tang and Drew are brothers in all aspects, right? And if you are competing against somebody that you love and respect that much, you want to destroy them, right? <laughs> like, because you know it's not going to like impact the relationship. You want to destroy them because it's way more fun. Yeah. So, no, I, I expect Kansas State to come out all cylinders firing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was great to see against West Virginia not only got the win, but just showed some tremendous resiliency to come back after what was just an awful, awful start to that game. That was pathetic. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that they were able to come back and win, I think says a lot about this group and the leadership, especially of guys like Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. So that being said, you know, Kansas State is 12 and one. We've talked about the soft schedule. The best team Kansas State has played so far is, or most talented team is probably LSU or West Virginia. Maybe you can include Butler in that conversation if you're feeling generous. But Eric, you know, what do you think? How big is the talent gap between, you know, the best teams K State has seen so far and, and what they're going to see in Waco Saturday? It's large. I mean, there, there's no beating around the bush. I mean, we're now playing big boy teams for the rest of the way out. There's no place to hide for the next 18 games or 19 plus if you start counting the Big 12 tournament. We've got some basketball players on the team. They're coming together as a team. I don't think anybody's going to say that we don't that we are completely devoid of talent. But it just it comes down to it. It's you know it's it starts to look a little bit like Alabama and K State on the on the gridiron, right? You know, okay, so we did really well with the talent that we've had. You know, we played some really good football. We beat some really good teams. And now we're going to start running into teams that just flat out have 
better basketball players than us. And how, how do we react to that? We're going to find out. Yeah. And then on the other hand, Matt, you've got Baylor. Obviously, they've seen some really quality competition already. They picked up good wins over Gonzaga, UCLA, but also got beat by Virginia. And then I don't know if you want to talk about the Marquette game, but what happened? I can I can <laughs> explain away anything. I'm getting really okay. good at this. So I am I am the Zen master of Baylor Twitter for basketball season, uh-huh. right? I get pretty frustrated watching Baylor football recently, more often than not, but I am the Zen master. Okay. of Baylor Bass. So I can explain away anything. Where do you okay. want to start? Virginia? Okay, well, yeah, oh. real quick, for, for those who don't know, Baylor got beat by Marquette by 26 points. And it was it was pretty ugly. In the first half, so. okay. All right. <laughs> so, look, Marquette, right? Hold on. Let's go, let's go see what they've done recently. Let me pop open our, our <laughs> good buddy, Ken Palm, and we open up game plan here. They have shot pretty reliably around mid thirties from three point range and against Baylor, they get hot and Baylor doesn't defend super well in the first half at all. That's an overstatement. They Baylor defended horribly in the first half, turned the ball over a bunch and, you know, Marquette jumps out and was able to control the game defensively moving forward. Baylor actually played really well in the second half, kept that margin, you know, reasonably close and decreased it a bit, but you just can't turn the ball over. What? Like 13 times in the first half, like Baylor did. And that speaks to kind of how new this team is, right? Which we can get into a little bit later. The Marquette game doesn't bother me quite as much as just some of the trends that we're seeing this team rely on. And that's, you know, it's it's going to be great, you know, when you play Gonzaga in South Dakota and you get hot and or, I'm sorry, you you defend really well, even though you're not getting hot. And then you know, you go play like a Washington state and you, you shoot the ball well. So the theme that we're going to visit quite often tonight is the three point line, right? This Baylor team takes almost half, if not more than half of their shots from the three point range. And it, a lot of the games that they have lost have pretty much pivoted right on that Marquette with the, the extra factor of turnovers in there as well. But like Iowa state Baylor went cold Iowa State got hotter than they normally do. And it really just kind of pivoted on that. So it, you'll see that, I expect, to continue through the rest of the season. Yeah, I feel like we, we've seen the Iowa State getting hot from three-story a few too many times against Kansas State. Now, against everybody. Yeah, against everybody. Too. That's true. <laughs> but another thing about that game, though, is LJ Cryer, a starting guard for Baylor, was yep. out. and. I believe he is scheduled to return on Wednesday against TCU. Correct? That's what the grapevine's saying. I think Scott Drew said today that he is out of concussion protocol and practicing in preparation to play tomorrow night, Wednesday night versus TCU. So hopefully that comes to fruition and Baylor has the full arsenal of guards that I think this team will need to succeed in a long-term situation. Yeah, yeah. And so, Cryer, I mean, let's start with him. What kind of impact did his absence have? And, and, you know, what does he bring when he's back on the floor? I mean, spacing is is obviously the biggest thing, right? Always a threat to shoot and get extremely hot from three. I have been somewhat encouraged by him putting the ball on the floor a little bit more, adding, uh, you know, a couple floaters a game. So I, I think there's room to grow there still, but there's some extra stuff. Defensively, we'll see. But that spacing becomes so crucial, especially when you have younger guards playing 
like a Langston Love, like a Keontae George. And then bigs, honestly, that need more spacing than we've seen in the past. So a Flo Thamba needs a little bit more spacing to operate. A Jalen Bridges probably needs more spacing to operate. So it's important just from a three-point, per- again, a three-point percentage perspective, right? Say that 10 times fast, but that <laughs> that's exactly what this team needs if it's going to play the way it's going to play. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about the younger guys here in a second, but Adam Flackler is the leading scorer. You know, he's a senior. How much is he kind of the heart and soul of this team? I have tweeted the Sam Cassell big balls dance more times (laughs) this season already than I expected to. I will say that the guy has been carrying this team offensively on, I don't know, a third of the possessions. It feels like maybe, you know, 40% of the possessions he goes out. He has a relatively efficient, 20 points against Iowa State, even in the loss, though. His offensive rating was 131. Like, it's just he does so much for this team offensively that it is, it's kind of amazing that Keontae George is playing as well as he is and kind of gets overshadowed by Adam Flagler from my perspective. So he means everything offensively. He is the engine, he is the starting, like, he's the ignition, he's everything for this offense. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what Marquise Noel and the other guys can do to disrupt him. I mean, Eric, you know, when you're facing guards this talented, how aggressive do you want to be? You know, trying to stop them, but you don't want to get burned either. You know, I think you come out with your normal game plan. You know, I think whoever's going to be guarding him is going to try to get into shorts. And, you know, if, if he starts to get around you and starts to put too much pressure on, on your health defense and they start finding some open shots, you might have to back off of it a little bit. But I would not see K-State playing scared of him or anything like that, you know, coming out of the start. You know, go out there, you know, try to try to speed him up, try to get him a, get him a little bit, a little off kilter and see what happens and, and adjust from there. Yeah. And then, Matt, you mentioned Keontae George. He's the, the highly touted freshman. I, I remember, I think, during the preseason, you and a bunch of other folks that I follow on, on Baylor Twitter were getting really, really excited about what he was doing against, like, Italian teams or Canadian teams or something. Yeah, I, I, th- I think both. Yeah, I think there was uh, <laughs> a Brazilian team in there. This is – he's an NBA player, and it is wild to see that kind of raw talent in a Baylor uniform. Baylor fans haven't seen this since an Isaiah Austin or what Quincy Miller was promised to be, or, you know, a a number of other players. Keontae George is the best freshman we've had at Baylor ever. I'm confident in saying some of the things he can do off the bounce is incredible. Some of the angles he can take at the rim, incredible. And that's, that's his scoring. But the thing that I'm actually most impressed by is his court vision and his opportunistic defense. So he is one of the better passing freshmen that I've ever seen. Is he the most consistent? Eh, Maybe not, but some of these splash plays that he can make, finding open guys, incredible, especially in broken play situations. And then defensively, he is opportunistic, right? He's still a freshman. He still makes mistakes. He'll let a guy, you know, back cut him every once in a while. He'll foul unnecessarily at times. But then on the other hand, that anticipation he has is elite, right? He'll create a turnover where one shouldn't have been created. He will help exactly when help needs to be helped. And maybe it's not even his rotation, right? So it is really fun to watch him progress because he's already a significantly better player 
thus far in the season than he was in the global jam in <laughs> Canada over the summer. So really, really fun to watch. And if he continues at this rate of improvement, I am really like intimidated what this could mean in like February ish, March ish. We'll see the kids a star. Yeah. And since you look at his numbers and he's averaging 15.6 a game, but not super efficient right now, it's about 34%. Not yet. From, from yeah, three. not yet. And then 38%. And it really stands out when you compare it to Adam Flagler, who's just ridiculous. 48. Yeah. Mr. Efficiency. Right. Yeah, exactly. So is that just kind of an adjustment period for Keontae? Yeah, yeah I, I think he's had a situation. He's had situations where he's been extremely hot one game or extremely hot in one half. And then, you know, the defense adjusts and he it's not that he fails to adjust. He's, he's a freshman, though. He, what, he's 18 years old. So, yeah, yeah. there's going to be some natural resistance there when you're playing against really good Big 12 teams or a really good Gonzaga team. But then he comes he'll come out and the confidence is sky high. He will keep shooting. He will keep pushing. And as long as he's not pressing and his confidence fails, then he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Yeah, the efficiency could increase, but again, it'll get there. Yeah, yeah. And then the other two guards, K-State, will probably see, you mentioned one of them, Langston Love and, and Dale Bonner in there as well. What kind of impact do they have? Let's start with Langston Love. So Langston Love still kind of recovering from that ACL tear in a preseason scrimmage last year. I think recently he just took off the knee brace, like, I don't know, three, four games ago. And he's playing so much freer, so much more confident. The shot is better than I even expected. But the, the we talked about the Sam Cassell big balls gif. Langston Love, I tweet the juggernaut gif because he will bully his way into the lane. Now, results after that are, you know, plus and minus at times. But he is such a strong physical player. I'm really curious to see how he's able to counter that when teams are expecting that kind of bully ball situation. So again, he's a freshman. He did not play last season. So Baylor already relying on heavy minutes from two freshmen. Kante George playing 72% of the available minutes and Langston Love playing 40% of the available minutes. I mean, that's big. So, you know, Langston Love has... I'll call it right now, 85% of the potential that Keontae George does. And I'm, I think that consistency will probably accelerate faster than Keontae's. So I'm really excited to see the role that he develops into, call it end of January, middle February. Yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned Dale Bonner, maybe my favorite player on the team. Dale Bonner is a bulldog. Dale Bonner will go do everything else that a guard doesn't want to do. Dale Bonner will play extremely just annoying defense. Dale Bonner will create turnovers a lot like Keontae George. Dale Bonner will hit the open shot, which he was not doing last season. Dale Bonner will drive the rim hard and draw fouls. And that's why they call him Big Dale Bonner. I mean, that, that okay. So only I call him Big Dale Bonner, but apparently it's <laughs> catching on. Apparently he is aware that people are starting to call him Big Dale Bonner, which I find absolutely <laughs> hilarious. But he is the epitome of a glue guy. We haven't had a guard glue guy since Flagler probably in the championship year. But he is the glue guy for this guard unit, and it is extremely fun to watch him play basketball. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, actually, looking at his bio. His uh, hometown's in Ohio, mm-hmm. and it looks like he was a grad transfer from Fairmont State, which I'm not even yep. sure where that is. But <laughs> how did he end up in Waco? 
you know, the guard rotation was going to get lighter after losing three NBA players. And I don't think Scott Drew knew that they were going to be NBA players at the time, but he took Dale Bonner in as a transfer that championship year. And he really used last season to develop more of an assertive presence on the court at this level of competition. And this year it's seemingly paying off. He did not shoot the ball well from distance last season. This season, he's shooting it much better. What is he at now? He's at 36%, which is a far cry from what he was shooting last season from a perception standpoint, <laughs> from my perception. <laughs> at least. I, I don't know what the number is, but, but he's shooting the ball so much more confidently. He's driving. He's getting to the line, and it's really, really fun to see a player work hard and develop like he has. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we've talked about all the Baylor guards, and I'm glad you brought up the talent they lost, the NBA talent, because I don't want this question to sound mean. So I want to start out by saying that like Baylor's guard group two years ago was one of the best I've ever seen in college basketball. Same. I still don't believe it. I, I, I like it, it still kind of blows my mind. So no, it doesn't come off as mean. Yeah. So how much of a decline has it been since then though? And has um, been- I think we're still trying to figure that out, right? Because you have, you know, a couple players with, I would consider extreme potential, right? But they're extremely young, right? You have a solid, consistent force in Adam Flagler. You have the X factor can get supernova hot in LJ Cryer. And then you have your glue guy in Dale Bonner. So like, I think the pieces are all there, right? But without the same kind of defensive and offensive stability in the front court, which by the way, Josh O freshman, it (laughs) it might be coming. That consistency might be coming. You rely so much on this youth. And I think Baylor only has like 1.4 average years of D one experience on the team right now. I mean, think about that. That's insane. Only one year and change of D one experience on this team. And so I I think at, at that point you, you kind of, expect some inconsistency but man this guard unit can be really really good i would say 80 percent, 85 percent of what that championship guard rotation can be I'm still concerned about the front court to a degree right so i don't think this baylor team can get to 85 percent of what that baylor team was at this point please prove me wrong but yeah i, I think this guard unit has the potential to be really really special it just might take us a little while to get there to seeing it. Well, we, we know all about front court concerns. At Kansas, right? <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But Eric, I guess just, you know, like do the K-State guards have to play even against the Baylor guards, to, you know, to have a chance to win this? Or Man, that's a really good question. I am going to say that somehow they need to play even, if not even just collectively as a group, a little bit better because of those front court mm-hmm. concerns that you were just talking about there. Yeah. But I think we're getting a little bit more consistency out of our front court. If we can get Gasson back in the rotation, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. he sat out the last game against West Virginia with an injury. We get him back in the rotation and continue to get some production out of him. That'll help. But currently, uh, current status with him unavailable. Oh, I like our front court, but it's awful thin. Yeah. Is Keontae Johnson playing more three or more four right now? Keontae Johnson is playing a two and a half to three. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, okay. All right. Yeah, he's he is definitely playing three. He is not playing in the paint. Um, okay. And and he's he's starting to he's starting to come up off the baseline, be up around the wings to play more of a, a two guard and a three guard set, if you will. Yeah. Fun story. Love that story, by the way. I'm glad he's Great found a home. Story. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah, so we'll talk about the big guys first. We'll take a quick break to hear from sponsors. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back. And so I guess let's just start by saying that, that the three teams that have really played K-State really competitively, LSU, West Virginia, and Butler, all had guys. KJ Williams for LSU, Trey Mitchell for West Virginia, Manny Bates for Butler. They all had double-doubles. So who's the most likely to be that guy for Baylor? That steps out uh, a double-double guy? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I, you know, you immediately go Flagler. Right. I think this is actually a really good opportunity to talk about Jalen Bridges, the transfer from West Virginia. Mm-hmm. So Jalen Bridges has been placed into a situation that could be so, so good for him. Before we jumped on the podcast, like the name PJ Tucker came up, right? We were just chatting and mm-hmm. PJ Tucker's uh-huh. name came up. And Jalen Bridges feels like a bouncier PJ Tucker to me, right? The kid works his ass off every single play. He's willing to go rebound, had a crucial rebound against Gonzaga that helped, you know, get that win for Baylor. He does everything you want a player to do, but he is shooting the ball so poorly right now. He is something like 19% from three. And the thing is, Baylor only really needs him to shoot like 34, 35, 36% from three and only from the corners. That's really only where his long distance shots come from. Finish better around the rim, keep the rebounding where it is, defend slightly better. And this Baylor team jumps from, oh, that's kind of a weird loss at Iowa State. Oh, that was kind of a weird loss, you know, at a neutral site against Virginia to this team only being, you know, a one loss team, right? Jalen Bridges is going to be, end up being so, so important. I really like if there's a situation where we're down 15 or up 15, I just want Baylor to run 10 straight sets for Jalen Bridges. Get him 10 shots in a row, force the issue. And that'll, I guess, like that does have the potential of like completely breaking his psyche. I don't want that to happen. But I, I want more shots for Jalen Bridges, get his confidence up because he is the double double or even triple double threat, right? With, points rebounds and you know he can do a little bit of everything else too so he's like the dark horse but adam flagler with points and assists that that would be my best bet okay okay it it looks like you know as far as big guys go and i apologize i haven't watched a whole lot of baylor basketball this year offended uh i know i know i'm I'm a terrible college basketball (laughs) fan it looks like you don't have like one constant big guy you're just throwing a, a rotation of big guys out there you know, and spreading the minutes around between four or five folks. Is that the case? Uh, Between two real. I mean, okay. So, all right. How do I approach this? So Baylor has two forwards on the team in Jalen Bridges and Caleb Lohner that are probably power forwards in the traditional sense, right? Jalen Bridges, more of a stretch for Caleb Lohner, more of a, what's the polite way to say this? More of the effort for, right? Like Caleb Loner will go out there and play harder than anybody else on the court. He hasn't finished well around the rim recently. I think there's still potential there, but Caleb Loner brings energy, and that's honestly extremely valuable for this team too. 
so yeah, you, there's been a, a rotation between those two at the four. At the five, it's really interesting because you have Flo Thamba, who played on that championship team and shut down Drew Timmy in the championship game and played really well against Gonzaga this season and has had really good games. And then there are just games where like he loses his hands. He doesn't, he loses his feet and defense isn't strong and rebounding seems to be an issue. But like we've seen him do all of these things really well. So it's been kind of frustrating to see him not be the consistent force that we, you know, kind of wrote off as, you know, hey, we have that box checked, consistent center play, maybe not explosive, maybe not fantastic, but consistent, right? Something that we could rely on. The player that I'm extremely excited about, maybe not more than any other player, but probably at the same level as any other player that I'm excited about on this team is Josh, Josh Ojinmuna, the freshman 610 center that currently backs up Flo Thombo. The butteriest, softest hands. Well, buttery implies slippery. So I'll just say <laughs> baby soft hands, right? Just extremely awesome touch. He's only been playing basketball for like four years, I think. And he's just growing leaps and bounds. His game is over the last month. It's been so cool to watch. Really good touch. Defensively has already gotten to the point where he's going straight up and down two hands straight up. Like he's learning extremely quickly and he has a skill threshold that can be really, really high. His ceiling is extremely high. His floor is lower because he's, you know, again, a freshman and maybe not as strong as he needs to be, but man, that kid can be special. I'm really excited to see what he's like next year. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of, duct tape with like one really good lag bolt right in the middle of the duct tape with flow thombo we'll, we'll we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there but we're, we're it's getting there right jalen bridges improves caleb loner improves josh o improves and we're looking at a pretty decent front court so i'm curious then like as, you, as you've got these guys growing into your rules how much does baylor miss matthew meyer who is of course now playing at Illinois, where he's having a good but not great season, honestly. His numbers are a little bit down, actually, from what they were at Baylor last year. And um, listen, am I bringing this up just so we can talk about how Missouri <laughs> trucked <laughs> Illinois and is now ranked number 20 in the country? Maybe. But, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm going to, like, imagine you're in a word editor, right, software, and you type this out and you put it in bold underlines with quotes, some asterisks on the outside on both sides, like you're making an AOL screen name. And the quote inside it is just, eh, like, do we, <laughs> do we miss him? Eh. Like, would he be beneficial to this team? Eh. <laughs> yeah, but also, would he take some, like, really ill-advised shots? Yeah. Would he do some nice things on defense? Yeah, yeah. Would he also gamble way too much and, you know, create six to eight points for the other team? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, it's 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 almost completely balanced. Like, right as all things should be, right? Like, yeah. like Matt Meyer is, like, the ultimate yes, 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 no, and also no, 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 yes player. And so I hope he's finding <laughs> success in Illinois. The team overall isn't so much, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And Eric, I mean, as far as K-State's big guys, you know, we saw baby got his first start. Iola uh, last game and we saw Masood get some more playing time. You know what? We've talked about them before. Just 
like to see a little more growth from them as well. Kind of, you know, what have you seen with them? Getting um, you know, I think that part of me kind of thinks that Ish had some sort of a little injury thing that they were wanting to get healed up. You know, that was a part of his not getting some minutes there for a couple of games because he seemed like he was getting a number of minutes and then we just had, you know, a three, four, five game stretch, however long it was where he either didn't play or he didn't see the floor very much unless it was absolutely necessary. And now we saw him again with a, a decent amount of court time. Part of that is probably just needing to go to him to maintain some size against West Virginia with Gasson out. You know, Bebe also, he's been hurt periodically throughout the non-conference season. He's one of those journeyman players that, you know, it's kind of, it kind of is what it is, what you're going to get, get out of him. You know, I think Ish is also kind of in that spot where it is what it is, what you're going to get out of him. I can tell you, watching the first half, against West Virginia. And I did not watch the second half, so feel free to thank me for what happened uh, against West Virginia. Um, <laughs> so I watched that first game and I saw the ish that I'm just like, oh my God, dude, what are you doing? You know, there was, there. I forget how, when it was in the first half, there was a possession where like, he just, did you hear about this Buddy Heald thing? Uh, no. uh, uh, There's a game just recently in the NBA where Buddy Heald set a record for the fastest three-pointer made in NBA history. <laughs> he turned. He literally oh chucked chucked one and made it within the first three seconds of the game. Official game time was 11:57, <laughs> and that was the wow. fastest made three-pointer ever. And I'm just imagining that that was exactly what the shot that Ish took because Ish like <laughs> took the took the ball from like someone that was closer to half court passed it to him. He was five feet outside the top of the key and he just turned and chucked. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) So, you know, who knows? Like Ish is one of those players that's just like, man, I feel like he's got a higher ceiling than he does, but maybe he doesn't, you know, maybe we're just not going to, we're going to run out of time before we get there. Regardless, you know, just given the current state are fours and fives with, you know, Naquan, I actually really like how he's coming along. Yeah. Matt, you were talking about uh, one of your guys that's only been playing basketball for four or five years. Same yep. story with Naquan. He's not been playing organized basketball for very long at all. It's obvious at times, but at the same time, that dude's got some athleticism that yeah. he can't duplicate. And, you know, as he comes along, I mean, you can see him coming along with his hands, with his ability to finish, with his ability to defend, those kind of things. That dude's going to be a player. But with him and Gasson, you know, after that, we just, at that point, we just need bodies to throw at people. I think Bebe is a good body to throw at somebody. Ish is a reserve body to throw at somebody, you know, <laughs> down in the paint. But, you know, once you're past those first two big guys, you're either working on a developmental project or you're, you've got 10,000 to use, go use them. Yeah, and we should give Bebe some credit. You know, even though he left a lot to be desired on defense, had some foul trouble, only played 22 minutes, but he had 14 points and eight rebounds and six to seven from the field. Yeah, he he did. And and what I saw him do in the first half, he did a really good job of getting himself into positions to score. And he did. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that we actually haven't seen a lot of over the last couple of years since Dean Wade is someone that can put themselves into a position to score and then score from the block. But, you know, he really was he made himself available to score close to the bucket and he followed through on it. It was really good to see. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting looking at this matchup. You know, this is one of the few, seems like it's been a while since we could say this, but the teams are fairly close as far as adjusted tempo goes, and Kim Palm still a little bit of an edge to Baylor. But it still kind of feels like a high-scoring game w- would favor Baylor here just because they have a lot more offensive weapons right now. 
I mean, kind of what's your guys' take on that? In this case, they'd have a better chance if they keep it low scoring. I disagree. I think a higher scoring game means that Kansas State is scoring, right? And that yep. means Baylor is, is not defending, right? And I think games can tend to get away from this very young slash inexperienced <laughs> team, you know, relative to other teams in the conference and, and the continuity and whatnot. If it's a low scoring game, I think Baylor has the ability to go get a bucket when a bucket is needed. So I'm not saying Baylor wants to have this low scoring, but mm. I see this game in, in the mid sixties. I This, this yeah. feels average, right? There's probably going to be runs of both yeah. kinds for both. I guess teams. I just feel like, like if K-State, you know, maybe starts hot and they're, they're going back and forth and, you're getting just like both teams in the 40s. I don't think that's a pace Kansas State is as likely to sustain as Baylor might be. Entirely possible. Entirely possible. I would agree. I don't think we're going to... I think if the game is feeling like it's going to get into the 80s, we could start having some issues just simply because we... I mean, we... They are definitely not as bad as they were during the Bruce Weber era, but we are prone mm-hmm. to going on scoreless <laughs> routes. Yeah. And, you know, a, a game that's going into the 80s, you suffer through one of those. All of a sudden, it's a it's an 80 to 65 game before you know it against a team like Baylor. The one thing that I think that is a little bit different for this K-State team compared to previous years is I actually don't think that a low scoring game helps us a ton. I actually think that, you know, a game getting up into the uh, getting up into the 70s is a comfortable pace for this team. We have a couple of guys that can go get buckets we still don't have a team that's going to be super successful in a half-court set. We need to get turned it into a track meet to a certain extent. You know, the quicker we can score, the better off we're going to be. I think we can play defensively well enough to slow a game down, but I don't think we want to play slow offensively. I think we want to score as quickly as uh, as quickly as possible, getting up and down the floor. Yeah, and I would say hopefully one thing we can all agree on is coming back from a double-digit deficit in Waco would be a lot more difficult. <laughs> than it was against West Virginia and Manhattan. In all likelihood, yes. <laughs> yeah. But so, Matt, before we ask you to make a prediction, actually, I want to talk about K-State's got a real key stretch coming up, including the, the game at Texas that, again, will have happened by the time you hear this podcast. But then at Baylor, Oklahoma State at home is the easiest game of the stretch. But then at TCU and KU at home, I mean, Eric, <laughs> wins are going to be tough to come by in those games. But... You know, what do you want to see from this team as far as competitiveness? Be in the game. You know, I think that, you know, if we go into Baylor, I think it's going to be a little bit more up-tempo than the 60s. I think that game's going to land in the in the, in the the mid to upper 70s, to be honest with you, by the end of the game. Make it competitive. You know, be in the game at the end of the game. You need to win one against Oklahoma State. you got to win that home game. You need to do the same thing at TCU. And They're playing you, well you right to- now. They are just two teams, um, Oklahoma State and TCU. Nobody really knows how good they are, but man, they are just a big pain in the ass to play. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Different styles of pain in the ass, but pain nonetheless. Yeah. I, I'd love to see it shock the world against the Jayhawks in Manhattan. I'm, I'm done with that. I, I think <laughs> we can, I'll be honest with you. I'm not afraid. I think we can do it. Like these guys are not afraid. And the one nice thing about having a new head coach, new coaching staff by and large. You've got some legacy folks on the staff like Curtis Kelly and and folks like that that have been around this program for quite a while. And you've got 13 new faces of your 15-man roster. There's no baggage there. Like, there's no reason that those guys don't think that they can't go out and beat Baylor in Waco or can't beat KU or can't beat TCU. or There's no baggage there. 
So I'm actually interested to see just what the results are when you're free of past history. I was nodding along like very fervently when I thought this was like a Kansas specific point you were making. And then you said shock the world against Baylor. Like, oh, 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 hold on. (laughs) With all due respect, Matt, I think that if we go in and beat Baylor, that's not shocking the world. I think it'll be. Yeah, no, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Yep. So, young, young team. Who knows what can happen? I'm excited, though, right? Because this is a team that on both sides, we're learning and growing with our respective teams, right? And it's going to be frustrating at times, but it also brings the chance of something really cool and exciting and and new. And, you know, I'm still conditioned to think Scotter teams are going to play through the high post or the wing post, you know, 80% of the play. So, yeah, just I love college basketball. I think that's my point. Yeah. So, Matt, back in October, the media picked Baylor as the Big 12 favorite. If they were asked to redo that vote right now, do you think Baylor's still the favorite? Right now, no. You, you have to put Kansas there. I think Jalen Wilson has appeared to make a bigger leap than people have expected, and I think Grady Dick is better than people have expected. We'll mm-hmm. see how consistent that ends up being. But, yeah, right now you have to say Kansas is playing the best. Baylor has the opportunity always like just to get supernova hot from three and beat anybody in the country. That's how good these guards can be. How consistent will that be? Right. So yeah, right now this would be the play there. I'm just going to point out that if we had good <laughs> officials in the big 12, KU would be and one in the conference right now. I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, that's yeah, I, I get it. Uh, the, oh no, this is, I am very shocked. Oh no. Kansas <laughs> got benefit of the doubt. No, oh, this was saying. not benefit of the doubt. This was the check cleared. Let's make sure that yeah, we follow yeah, it was it was pretty blatant. The Jalen Wilson foul is what you're referring to, I, I among other things. But I yeah, mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But I will say that was a 52 percent free throw shooter who would have been going the line. So, oh, now he doesn't get a chance. Up. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Just say it. Uh, but Matt, you want to make a prediction for us? The game in Waco, Baylor 74, Kansas State 68. And it's no fun for anybody. <laughs> That's how these games normally go. Extremely stressful for everyone. It's not fun. And Baylor puts it out of quote reach with a couple free throws at the end. Like, I really think it's going to be like that. All right. Yeah, That's not disrespectful, fun. right? I, like, I, nobody, so. I I'm not expecting you to agree with me. I'm just making sure <laughs> that I'm not offending anybody. Not, not yeah. offending me. I'll tell you that. I think <laughs> I'm... If I was putting my own money on this in Vegas, I would say the exact same thing. I'd bump it up two points. I back, think it's, I think it's a in, 76-70 game. I think when he was a freshman, Keontae Johnson had 20 against that really good Baylor team. Interesting. So, hey, just keep an eye out on that. Yeah, I think the players are going to play. I think the players are going to play. I think this game is one in the three and four and five man guys. Not Agreed. Not big guys, but... You know, the stars are going to show up. Keontae from K-State, Keontae Johnson's going to show up. You're going to have, you know, Marquise Noel is going to show up. It's going to be, you know, what can Desi Sills do off the bench? What can Cam bring to the table? Do we get the continuation of Naquan Tomlin or does, uh, you know, does he run into a wall again? It's going to be those are the kind of things that, that really determine the outcome of the game. Yeah, it'll be fun. I believe it. It'll be fun. Well, Matt, as always, we appreciate you coming on. You know, you'll have a lot of good pregame coverage over at our Daily Bears for sure. I don't know. Can you give us any reasons why Kansas State fans should listen to Between Two Bears? 
we so rarely talk about like the percentage <laughs> that we talk about Valor is I don't know thirty five percent, forty percent, somewhere around there, and then the rest is about the Mets and how irritating Iowa State fans are sometimes, or it's really cathartic for fans that don't like Baylor because we're depressed sometimes, but we're depressed with a lot of energy. Does that make sense? Depressed with a lot of energy and maybe just mad. Maybe we're just mad a lot. I don't know. We'll find out. I have no idea what the vibes are going to be like tomorrow night when we record. We haven't spoken to each other in like a couple weeks. So who knows what's going to happen? It could be crazy. It could just be sad. It's probably going to be both. Okay, sounds good. Well, as always, really appreciate you coming on. It was a good time. Absolutely. So, Anytime. Yep. Thanks to both of you. Yeah. Luke Thompson. So, yeah.